to A Smarter You. I'm Hannah Belliacci, and I'll be your host this fall. We're starting our second season with this interview by our previous host, Justin Cummings, with the world-recognized marathoner, Katherine Switzer. They talk about how she got her start running here at Lynchburg before she made history at the Boston Marathon. They're joined by assistant women's soccer coach, Natalie Deacon. Is there a Lynchburg professor or alum you'd like to hear on our podcast this season? Email ucm at lynchburg.edu to let us know. Thanks and enjoy the show. Welcome to A Smarter You, a University of Lynchburg podcast. I'm Justin Cummings, and today I'm joined by Natalie Deacon, assistant coach for the women's soccer team at University of Lynchburg. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me here. And Catherine Switzer, the first woman to register and run the Boston Marathon. Hi, Justin. Great to be here. So today, uh, the reason we're all here, uh, Catherine Switzer will be the undergraduate commencement speaker at University of Lynchburg in 2019, and she was kind enough to come by and sit down and talk to us a bit about a bit about women's sports today, her history, kind of the way that sports have changed in the past 50 years, and kind of what it's like being a runner in a sport that didn't exactly uh, want her to be a runner at the time. And so we're going to get right into that. So go ahead. Uh, Catherine, start at the beginning. Kind of what got you interested in sports generally and then specifically running? Well, you know, it was really interesting. My dad, when I was 12 years old, told me I did not want to be a high school cheerleader, which was the nearest thing to teenage nirvana in those days, um, because life was to participate, not to spectate. He said, cheerleaders cheer for other people. You want people to cheer for you. And you are lucky enough to have in your high school... I was only 12, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, in in your high school, a field hockey team. He said, I don't know what field hockey is, but I know they run. And you should go out and run and make that team. And I said, well, Dad, I've never played that sport before. And he said, look, all you have to do is run a mile a day and you'd be one of the best players. I know it. My father was extremely motivational. And actually, he was right. I did make the team. But the thing is, I really struggled and ran this mile every single day when I was only 12. And it gave me such a sense of empowerment and power and magic that, um, you know, I've never stopped. I've been running for over 60 years now. And it's it's the thing that, that gives me everything. But anyway, that's how it began. I, I love to tell the story. I'm sorry I'm going on here a little bit. But I love to tell the story because I love everybody saying, you know, just how important giving a kid an opportunity and a sense of encouragement is. Absolutely. It's everything. Absolutely. While we're on the topic of introductions to the sport, uh, Natalie, how did you get into sports generally and then running specifically? Yeah, so sports have always been a huge part of my life. Um, Grew up, my best friends were a bunch of boys on my street. Um, Just had an awesome experience, uh, loving sports from a young age. In high school, I competed um, in track and field and soccer. Um, had opportunities to do both in college and ended up choosing soccer. Um, I just love the team aspect um, and all of that. And so I had the opportunity to play soccer here at Lynchburg for four years, Um, was part of a national championship team in 2014. As I was heading into my senior year, I I knew that I was really going to struggle when soccer was over. And so I approached um, the distance coach here, Coach Reed, and I said, Coach, when I'm done soccer, at the end of fall, will you let me run? And uh, thankfully, he said, absolutely, Nat. You know, we'd love for you to help us build our culture a little. We've only been here for two years. Um, We'd love for you to be a part of it. And so um, sure enough, uh, right when I was done playing soccer, I took a week off and then I joined the track and field team and got to participate for two years. Nice. 
So um, either of you can answer this question. Um, this is a little bit broader about running before we kind of get to specific instances. Catherine, you talked about running to prepare for field hockey. Kind of talk to me about how running is often seen as both its own sport, but then also prep for other sports and kind of that dichotomy that no other sport really has in that regard. Well, I didn't have any opportunity to run for a sport because I was, you know, my objective was that field hockey team. And I loved what Natalie said about the team thing because suddenly I was a part of a team and we were working together in high school and we really wanted to win. And we were, uh, some of us uh, were pretty klutzy and others uh, were pretty good. Um, But I was really one of the best players, not because I was skilled, but because I never got tired and I could outrun everybody. And, um, and I loved being, uh, being competitive. And I loved also the fact that I could learn skills while I was running. So, um, I got better at the skills and, and played for a full four years and, and then, you know, translate that into also basketball. And in the spring, I didn't like softball. So I just ran all through the spring, but it was the, the men who ran and I was fascinated with track and field and I would watch it on television and stuff, but it never quite occurred to me that I could also run. It was because I, I never saw women running. I mean, I saw Wilma Rudolph in the 1960 Olympics running the 100 meters and the 200 meters, but that didn't relate to me. I mean, I, 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 I didn't have any speed. I couldn't outrun anybody um, in the shorter distances, but I could outrun everybody if it was a, a, an hour-long hockey game. So then talk to me about the uh, transition to college then, um, kind of taking those sports into college, because that's when you um, really switched to running as well, correct? Yes, but it was not at Lynchburg at, at first. Um, I went to Lynchburg College for two years and then transferred to Syracuse University. I'll tell you why in a minute. But when I came to Lynchburg, um, uh, field hockey team was one of the motivating factors because um, in Virginia at that time, now we're talking 1964, uh, there were no co-ed institutions in the state of Virginia except for Lynchburg. And my dad didn't want me to go to a girls only school. And the big university, like University of Virginia, was men only. And nobody seemed to question this. I thought that was all pretty strange. But anyway, Lynchburg was the only co-ed institution. So, you know, we argued about it. I didn't want to really go to Lynchburg. I wanted to go someplace like University of Michigan. And my dad said, well, I'm paying for it. So, you know, know, you you will go here for two years and then we'll talk about it. But when I got to Lynchburg, I loved it and um, began playing on the field hockey team. And um, it... It wasn't as competitive, actually, as my high school team. Um, some women were, were really, really good, but others were really kind of playing at it. Um, so it was an interesting kind of time for me, and I used running a lot after practice and between practices all the time to build up my distance and also to feel that I was keeping myself in better shape. And um, then I played lacrosse, which I loved, and I also played basketball here, too. I often wonder, however, this is something, and I still dream about this at at my age, 72, is I wondered if hockey had been an Olympic sport, if I would have aspired higher. And what happened at Lynchburg was really amazing, is that um, after, uh, between basketball and lacrosse seasons, I was out running, and it was a very, very rainy day, and the track coach was out on the track, where I no- normally never ran on the track. And I just usually ran through the woods and the streets, but it was a very rainy day. And so I ran on the track that day. 
and the coach was there alone because the men hadn't uh, showed up for practice. And so he was timing me. And he came over to me and he said, can you run a mile? And I said, I could run three miles. And he said, well, look, at, you know, we don't have enough milers for the track meet this weekend. If you could just run for us, you'd pick up the points. And I said, well, I'll probably finish last. And he said, sure, you probably will finish last. And I said, well, you know, if I can help the team out, well, I don't mind finishing last. I'll get the points. And, um, and it really created a huge sensation when this girl showed up. Um, on <laughs> for the track meet that weekend. In fact, they had more people turn out for that tra track meet than they even had for soccer game. I was, it became a really big, like an avalanche of, of PR. Also, one of my hockey teammates, her name was Martha Newell, um, was asked to run the, I ran the mile, she ran the 800. And um, so we were, I was really glad that she was along because um, we were breaking barriers. Exactly. And, and it was really great. I, we were nervous about the guys, um, what, how they would react, but they were all really good. So I don't know if Coach had had a word with them or not, but um, Aubrey Moon was the guy who said, hey, you know, can you run a mile? And, uh, and invited us to give it a shot and it made all the difference. Anyway, as I said, the publicity was enormous. And um, the guys on the team actually loved having all the TV cameras there and the whole student body turn out because everybody only turned out for soccer normally. The way you say it, it doesn't sound like you were trying to, you know, do anything super radical. You were just trying to help Always trying out. to help the team out. Right. Right. And, and I mean, I, of course, was torn because I thought, I am going to finish last. There's just no way I'm going to not finish last. Now, how, 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 how can I run respectably? You know, these guys are, you know, under five minutes a mile. And, and so, you know, how can I run respectably? And, and fortunately, I ran like... I think I ran a 5.56, so I was, I was pleased that at least I broke six minutes of the mile. But it, nobody seemed to mind. Everybody gave me a big cheer. It was great. Did uh, any of the other schools mind? No, none of the other schools seemed to mind. And in fact, we had a really interesting uh, situation. I don't remember what school it was. Um, but in the 800, Marty caught this guy. And and he laughed and he let her go by him and she she actually beat him. So the picture in the next newspaper the next day was of her coming in and breaking the tape with him behind her. And um, and uh, it said, Marty doesn't even finish last. So she she um, uh, I, don't, I don't think the guy was too happy about the picture, as it turns out. I mean, he I think he was being a little chivalrous, but. Um, we were giving it our all. It we was, were trying our best. It was chivalry right up until it made him feel like he was fooled. And he's like, hey, wait a minute. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. Yeah. But that's not the last time cameras would uh, follow you at an event. Talk to me a bit about kind of why all this really, like, the avalanche of publicity then would be later on talking about the Boston Marathon. Yes. Um, but let's, let's say why the avalanche of publicity happened in the first place. It was because it was so unusual mm -hmm. that um, a, a girl was running on the men's team. Um, and the publicity, uh, I would say for the most part, like uh, on the big, the big media stuff, the AP, the UPI, the, I mean, the, the TV cameras that came down from New York mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, it was pretty positive. They say, they would say things like, you know, um, leggy lady runs with the men or something like that. But <clears throat> the mail was not necessarily. We, we got a lot of very weird mail as well as, as very positive mail of, uh, you know, really people 
questioning, you know, why, A, why a woman would do that, and B, how inappropriate it was, three, how dangerous it was for you. you. Definitely your uterus was going to fall out, and if that didn't happen, you'd turn into a man, and, you know, um, it's not a good thing to sweat in public. This is unbecoming to women. And um, consequently, undermining women and giving them the same old myths that we'd grown up with so that women were afraid to do anything athletic. And you know, we didn't understand um, why you couldn't be everything. Um, and that's certainly how I believed that. Anyway, yeah, then it carried over to um, the certainly the Boston Marathon the next year. There were two guys on the team that year at Lynchburg, uh, a guy by the name of Robert Moss and a guy by the name of Jim Tiffany. And I think that they didn't tell Coach Moon that they, they'd sneaked off two weeks before this particular track meet to run something amazing called the Boston Marathon. Mm -hmm. um, and when they came back, I think they were pretty beat up and sore, didn't perform very well for a while. But anyway, because uh, a marathon's 26 miles, 385 yards, and I, uh, I think the longest uh, event for the men in the in track was three miles in those days. And um, which I guess they have changed it to 5,000 now, right? Mm -hmm. 5,000 meters, you don't run miles anymore. Um, anyway, um, I was fascinated by this. I was, <clears throat> I was also writing sports for the Critograph. Right. And um, I covered these guys and I said, wow, 26 miles, 385 yards. That's really amazing. And I, and I remember saying to Robert Moss, I said, um, what did you run? He said, three hours, 45 minutes. I said, wow, that sounds great to me. I said, were there any women running? And he said, one. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. I said, what does she run? He said, a 320. And I said, what? You let a girl beat you? I'll never forget I said that. <laughs> and he was kind of looked at the ceiling and rolled his eyes. And I thought, well, you know, that's interesting. A woman has done it, and she ran pretty well. She outran Robert Moss. So, you know, obviously women can do it. No, mm -hmm. no big deal. But I was fascinated by the distance because I was struggling with this 800 and the mile that I was running at Lynchburg because it seemed so short. And um, I ran other AAU meets and at the Quantico relays and that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, I transferred to Syracuse University that year. Um, because I wanted to study journalism, and I'd taken every journalism course that they had at Lynchburg. And um, I pro I, nowadays I would have stayed, but I really wanted a degree in journalism because I really wanted to be a sports journalist. Right. And Syracuse had a very good journalism school. So I went up to what I call the frozen tundra of the Great North. It's pretty cold up there. Very cold. We had nine, nine yards of snow that year. Nine yards of snow. I, I believe that. <laughs> it was I, un, It's just unbelievable. <laughs> I was there one day and that was cold enough. <laughs> and um, and began uh, realizing an amazing thing, which was that there were no intercollegiate sports in Syracuse for women. None. Really? Yeah, they had play days. Can you imagine this? And the uh, 25 sports for men, they were powerhouse university for them. All of them had scholarships. It was phenomenal. And I thought, why don't women here get it, you know? Uh, um, so I said, okay, it doesn't matter. Um, I, I'm here for journalism, uh, and I can run by myself, right. And which is one reason why I love running so much. But then I decided, well, if Coach Moon let me run on the men's team, maybe they'll let me run on the men's team here. So I went and talked to the track coach, You know, decided to do it properly. And he said, no, you can't run officially. It's against NCAA rules. You know, you were in a different division. But we would welcome you to come and work out with the team. And I thought, oh, great. That's terrific. I said, fine, coach. I would love to do that. And as I left his office, I'll never forget this. I was pulling the door shut behind me. 
And I heard him burst out laughing to us as colleagues just before I shut the door. He thought I'd had the door shut. And he goes, ha, ha, I guess I got rid of her. And so I was really um, uh, nervous, but I decided I wanted to run with them. He said I could come out there. So I showed up, and I think he was extremely surprised. And like at Lynchburg, it was really quite phenomenal. The men were really wonderful to mm-hmm. me, very welcoming, particularly a volunteer coach they had who was really old. His name was Arnie Briggs, and he was 50. He was ancient. And, <laughs> uh, and he was an ex-marathoner. And he sort of took me under his wing and, and began running with me and telling me how great I could be. And then when I told him one night that I wanted to run a marathon, he said, don't be ridiculous, a woman can't run a marathon. I said, what? You're, we're running together all this time and you're telling me how great I could be? And he said, yeah, but a marathon's a different thing. And I said, yeah, I know it's a different thing, but you know, why can't I do it? We argued and finally he told me that if I proved to him in practice that I could do it, he would take me to the Boston Marathon. Yes. Did he take you? <laughs> He did, um, because um, when the day came for us to run our 26 miles, I said, let's keep going because we want to make sure no matter what, we can finish the Boston Marathon. Let's do another five miles. So we did 31 miles, and at the end of the workout, he passed out. <laughs> I take it you did not because you remember him passing and, out. And um, I was getting better and better, and he was falling off the falling off the game. And, and when he came to, he said, women have hidden potential in endurance mm. and stamina. So we had discovered a new universe. It was amazing. The guys wouldn't come run with us more than after 14 miles. They said, you guys are crazy people. But I got better and better, and I could foot it with them if the distance got long enough. And Arnie was really, really overwhelmed, you know, because he he saw it. He was witness to it, and he just was like an evangelist about it. And it was amazing. Here's a guy who had run 15 Boston marathons. He was 50 years old, deeply entrenched in the myth that women were weaker and fragile and couldn't do things. Now he saw that the endurance and stamina was, was phenomenal. I don't ha- you know, women don't have the speed and the power, but we've got the endurance, the stamina, flexibility, and balance. It doesn't make men better or women better. It makes us different. And we have to think, for 3,000 years, Olympic sports has been about speed, power, and strength. Mm-hmm. And it's only really been in the last 100 years, but let's even 50 years, the last 50 years, since women have had an opportunity and the science and the disposable time and money to become um, athletes, to explore their abilities. I, I love saying, listen, listen up out there, young people. There's going to be a huge, huge change in sports where women's sports is going to be very popular and publicizable, and maybe it's going to be in sports that we don't quite know mm. what they are yet. Mm-hmm. And you can create that. It's going to be a very, very interesting career path. And it's crazy to think that this was only 50 years ago that, that these these myths were held, that you know you had actual medical professionals saying, if you run longer than it takes to catch your children, you will die and become a man and terrible things. And that's not that long ago. I and know. just how rapidly culture has shifted. And it's not that we're there, but it's things have moved so much and it's just they have. staggering. But if you look around the world, you're still looking at women mm-hmm. who are not allowed to go out of the house, get an education, mm-hmm. drive a car, carry a passport. Um, and those are countries who sincerely still believe mm-hmm. the worst possible kinds of myths about women. And, and then, of course, w- women themselves believe them because they have no opportunity to see anything else. And that's one reason why I've created a foundation that's called 261 Fearless. It's, we, we haven't told the Boston Marathon story yet, but it's named after my bib number from the Boston Marathon um, to show women uh, with a community club or gathering how 
you can take that first step because they're afraid even to take the first step. And you just sometimes need somebody to hold your hand and to um, uh, show you how to be fearless. Because the act of running, you know, and, and Natalie was saying this too, is this whole, the whole sense of empowerment is so mm -hmm. phenomenal that, that women can take something like running, which is easy, convenient, cheap, and accessible, mm -hmm. uh, with nothing else in their lives, they can start to run and they can have that overwhelming sense of, of empowerment. And it changes everything. It's it's amazing. Just yeah, you don't need a special location. You don't need anything like that. You just go. Uh, Natalie, did you want to talk a bit about that kind of the confidence and, and building that confidence? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I started reading your book yesterday, uh, The Marathon Woman, and I've just loved every second of it so far. And one of the parts I really liked, um, you said that when I ran, I felt like I was touching God or he was touching me. Um, and then you just talk a little bit about this this magic that you felt when you ran and um, and just kind of what it did for you as a woman and your confidence. Um, and I know you had parents that really raised you in a way that empowered you, um, which was pretty um, uncommon at the time. But could you just tell us a little bit about, I just love that concept of the magic. Yeah, I couldn't quite figure out what it was, mm -hmm. um, but I still feel it, which is, you know, as I say, 60 years later, it is amazing. Um, and, and whether it is the unity with the earth, the sky, the sun, the, you know, the, the elements, or its feet on the ground, touching earth, mm -hmm. connected to connectivity, what it also really is, is um, on a purely chemical sense, it's probably mm -hmm. a release yeah. of endorphins and also the sense of um, accomplishment. Mm -hmm. So when everything else in life is sometimes totally unmeasurable um, or you're having a really crappy day in general, at least with the run, you've gotten something accomplished and you feel, well, I've done that. And also it's because you've done it for yourself, mm -hmm. which is another thing that women are not used to doing. Right. I mean, throughout history, we've had to give it all away. You know, the kids, the dog, the house, the husband, you know, everything else is first before you yourself. And often, even now, women feel, oh, my gosh, how am I going to work out this time-life balance, uh, you know, work-life balance? I mean, I got a job now. I got the house. I got the kids. I got the, you know, get the kids off to school. There's no time in there for me. And when they take that 20 minutes, they have that return mm -hmm. and say, hey, yeah, it's okay. I can do it all. It yeah. really makes a difference. So it is. It is magic in, on many, many respects. And I've seen more and more women who start to run who change their their lives with getting a better education or, you know, asking for a raise or mm -hmm. getting a better job, whatever. It's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, it is. Well, you, and I know you feel it too. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. even you, I would love to bring this up on this broadcast, <laughs> which is um, after you've graduated now, you say, eh, you know, I really like to run and I'm going to ask the coach for a couple of years if I can run after while you're working on your master's, right? Right. Absolutely. So I, um, once I finished that first year of running, I actually found a loophole where I was able to coach soccer and simultaneously run track. Um, and just a really incredible experience that, you know, involved me getting up at 6 a.m. and doing some runs at crazy hours of the day, but just truly that sense of accomplishment that comes with it. And people ask you, you know, why would you put yourself through this training and what, you know, what are you gaining out of it? And, uh, you know, there's no way to describe the feeling that you get of fear that when you step up to that line but then also the incredible sensation when you cross the finish line or when the gun goes off and um, just so many things that you know unless you really do it it's it's difficult to describe but um, it is the most empowering feeling and um, I wouldn't have traded you know my opportunity to do that for the world I think that's fantastic and I and I think a lot of um 
older women are not not old not that you're older, but what I mean is that ones who've graduated and they traditionally after you've had a great career like you have mm-hmm. had in soccer, they really go into a trough afterwards because they right. don't don't quite know what to do with themselves. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, what so there are two things. Um, what can we do about that? But the other thing is, don't you find running more than almost more than soccer? But running because it's so measurable, hmm. the, the uh, what I call the physiological curiousness. In other words, I was always one reason why I wanted to run long was because I was really curious. How far can I go? And, Absolutely. And you've got to be feeling. Oh, I wonder if I can really kind of bring that time down another, you know, thirty seconds. Yeah, we, well, not thirty seconds. Well, I remember That's a coming lot. Back. Maybe 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 one second yeah. because your yours is done by one second. Absolutely. Now. <laughs> I remember coming back that second year for running, and a big reason why I decided to do that was, you know, that question that was yeah. just lingering in my yeah. mind of, well, I wonder what my body is capable of. I, I wonder know. what it can do, and yeah. um, and just. Finding the power in that is just, it's almost like a sense of discovery of, you know, for me, it was learning more about who I am and also for me, you know, who I believe that God created me to be. And it was just this really beautiful um, journey. Yeah. Um, I mean, Steve Prefontaine said, 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 you know, um, to not do the best you can to give it everything you have is not is is not to honor the gift mm -hmm. and um, really to try really, really hard. Um, and and the, and really surprise yourself. You you know then you come across the finish line. You look at the clock. You say, "Wow, I did it! <laughs> wow, what else can I do?" That's great. So we we only have a few minutes left here. So I want to make sure that we that we get to this uh, before we run out of time here. Um, let's talk about the Boston Marathon. Oh, let's all talk right. for those who don't know. Let's let's get to it. We've been building. Let's talk about the uh, the big event. So how did what happened? Okay, I'll have to tell it in brief because my coach then lived up to his promise. He helped me sign up for the race. He said, you've got to sign up officially. I thought we could just go and, you know, sneak in. in. Yeah. No, not sneak in, just jump in. And because, I mean, it had been done before. I wasn't going to Boston to prove anything. This is my reward now. Right. It's already been done. A woman's done it. Um, I'm going to go because it's my reward from Arnie. And he was very proud of me. No, you have to officially register. I'd been right working as a journalist, so I'd been signing my name K.V. Switzer because mm-hmm. I, you know, I wanted to be T.S. Eliot and J.D. Salinger, and my dad had misspelled my name on my birth certificate, so it was really much more convenient for me to sign K.V. Switzer. So I signed the entry form K.V. Switzer, and by the way, the entry form had nothing about gender on it. But I wasn't trying. They didn't to even me. assume. They yeah, just they assumed assume. that it was male. So why even put the mark? Exactly. And 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 I didn't. Um, I wasn't trying to 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 fake them out in any way. And, and so my, we sent in our, our paperwork, and then we, we got the bib numbers the morning of the race, and my coach picked up the bib numbers for everybody on the team who went up there. Um, because it was snowing and sleeting, it was just utterly miserable. And he said, stay in the car. There's no point in everybody getting wet. And um, he just went and picked up the team packet like you do for a cross-country race. <laughs> so so we came out of the car and, and pinned on all our bib numbers and started warming up. And I was really disappointed. I had a really cute outfit on. I wanted to show off shorts and top. And, and I had to wear a baggy gray sweatsuit because it was absolutely freezing. I mean, it was like 35 with a headwind and sleet and snow. It was miserable. We looked like refugees. We had on everything we owned. And I suppose that played into my favor because um, all the men knew that I was a woman and came up to me and congratulated me. But the officials obviously couldn't tell I was a woman. They weren't looking for anybody. There was chaos getting the race on time started and everything. So down the road we went. We were all happy campers. And and, um, 
about a mile into the race, the press truck came by us taking pictures. We waved, you know, mom on the nightly news. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, the race director jumped off the press truck. And, and the bus, there was another bus behind the press truck, which was right. behind us. So I didn't see him coming. I heard him at the last minute because I heard feet running quickly and in leather shoes. And I turned, and this fierce face was right in my face, screamed at me, get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers, and grabbed me by the shoulders and threw me back and tried to rip off my bib numbers. And my coach started screaming at him, leave her alone. And uh, my boyfriend who was an ex-All-American football player, 235 pounds, came flying full tilt and gave him a shoulder charge and knocked him out of the race instead and went right through the air. And um, it was quite breathtaking. I was scared out of my mind. Um, and you all are smiling because it is, it is hilarious in the retelling. In, in hindsight, yeah. In hindsight, yeah. And, and, the, and the pictures also, in many ways, they're shocking, but they're also funny. Girls saved by boyfriend. Um, and coach said, uh, run like hell, and down the street we went. Press truck stayed with us for quite a while, very aggressive and combative. What are you trying to prove? When are you going to drop out? Um, and finally, they left when they saw that I was serious and uh, wanting me desperately to drop out. And I turned to my coach and said I was going to finish this race on my hands and my knees if I had to. I was just so determined because I knew if I didn't, nobody believed women could do it. So um, I did, went on, finished the race. And by the time I finished the race, you know, you can't run and stay mad. Um, yeah. I'd come to the resolution that I wanted to, A, become a better athlete, and two, to create opportunities for women because women weren't there. And I knew that if I could create those opportunities for them, they would be. And it wasn't the official's fault. He was just an old fogey who is a product of the time. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, do you want to plug your book and charity one more time? Sure. Well, Marathon Woman, you know, unputdownable, best-selling book. You know, you have plenty of beer, sex, and rock and roll in the book to keep anybody happy. Uh, <laughs> available on Amazon and even in audio books. Um, and 261 Fearless, join us. We look for women everywhere to start a club and help other women who can run 261fearless.org and push the button for starting a club or join us or be a friend. We'd love to have you. All right. Well, Catherine, thank you. Natalie, thank you as well for joining us. Thank you so much. Um, That's it for this episode of A Smarter You, and we will see you all next time. Bye.